Good morning. God has called us here to worship and proclaim his praise. Amen. And I want to compliment you on not sitting in the back rows. Those of you who haven't, um, that means I don't have to make my little speech before the service. one desire in our heart, and that is to worship you, our Lord, our God, our Creator, our Savior, the sustainer of our life, our helper. We worship you. We worship you in all of your might and all of your power. We worship you in the way that you seem to have that marvelous ability of intervening in the affairs of our life in the most wonderful and positive ways. When we can't handle things ourselves, we know that we have one who is our friend and our companion who can handle anything that we face in this life, and how thankful we are for the relationship we have with you this morning. As we anticipate these two days together, days of revival here on our campus, we pray, O oh Lord, that uh, you would help us as we sang together this morning to truly open the eyes of our heart. And where our eyes have become clouded as far as what we're able to see of God, we pray that our vision would improve and that we'd be able to see you high and lifted up in all of your power and glory. And that we would be willing to, uh, to place ourselves secondary to your will and your plan, realizing that uh, your ways are higher than our ways and your plan is better than any plan we might have. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would anoint our evangelist today and that you would give him strength and that you would give him a special touch that comes from God. And as you touch him, we pray, we pray, Lord, that you will also touch our hearts. And truly, there will be a blending and a uniting of our hearts and spirits with one another and with the God who gives us a spirit of unity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's so good to have... Uh, Reverend McWhorter and his wife with us today. I'd like to introduce his wife. First of all, would you stand, Ellen, and we welcome you to Nazarene Bible College today. <clears throat> they had a very long day yesterday because you realize that there are time zones involved, and they got up early because of the warnings about uh, uh, security, and uh, so they were at the airport well ahead of time. And then they had a three-hour wait in Cincinnati and uh, got in here about uh, a little after five yesterday. I took him to dinner last night, and he said, I don't eat much, but what he ate uh, gave him a rough night, and so he didn't sleep very well last night, he tells me. And uh, Brother McWhorter's been uh, preaching for 53 years, and he tells me in these 53 years he has never preached in a chair, but he didn't sleep at all last night. And uh, because of that, he's decided that he would like to uh, preach the sermon that he was going to preach this morning because it takes a little more energy tonight. And so you'll need to be here tonight to hear the sermon uh, on Patmos that uh, I think is one of the most marvelous messages I've ever heard. Uh, but uh, this morning uh, he will preach the message that he was going to preach tonight. And uh, he said he's never sat in a chair in 53 years, but he'd like for us to set one out here for him. So I'm just going to pull this back and set it out there and just, uh, just let him plan on using that chair this morning. Uh, as a student many, many years ago, I know that uh, one of the important things in my life was to hear different styles of preaching. We learn preaching by hearing preaching, not just by studying it, but we learn by listening to preachers. Uh, I remember on occasion that Dr. Mrs. Wiseman and Jan and I spent uh, Easter weekend in Boston, 
Well, Dr. Wiseman and I were interested in preaching, so we spent most of the day on Friday, or Good Friday, at uh, that church in Boston that uh, Dr. Philip Brooks pastored in the Good Friday services. On Sunday morning, we attended three services uh, because we wanted to hear preachers. We wanted to go to those churches. Now, our wives wanted to go to the shows, uh, but, uh, but we wanted to hear preachers. And one of the things I remember uh, was the different styles of preaching. And in my day, there was a, a great preacher by the name of Lawrence Hicks that uh, painted these marvelous word pictures. You could, you could smell the pine trees and, as, as he would describe things. And uh, there was a, a great preacher by the name of B.B. Seals that came to our campus. He was very relaxed, and I still remember some of those words. One thing he talked about one day was he told about how he'd had such, some tragedies in their life, in their family. And then I remember that statement. He said, isn't it wonderful when your whole world caves in and you can just fall in the arms of Jesus? And there have been times that I've been able just to fall in the arms of Jesus. I always remember B.B. Seal's message that day for that reason. Well, there's things that I remember about uh, the preaching of this gentleman. And I think that you will be, uh, it will be to your advantage to uh, hear this preacher and his style because you need to know how other people do this ministry that we are preparing for. Brother Steve uh, and Brother Stuart, uh, it's my honor today to introduce to you God-called men and women, a God-called faculty and staff that have chosen to serve God through this institution. And we are indeed honored to have you here, and I think you're honored to be able to address these people. God bless you. I went out to preach at Jerry Falwell's church, and uh, I knew what they were. That was back when he was all hung up about men having long hair and everything, and they were pretty radical. And the night before I went, I stopped in Dallas and bought me a big Bible like the Baptists carry. <laughs> Nazarenes carry little Bibles. <clears throat> you will excuse me, but I never drink and drive, and I never preach and drive, but this morning is a major exception for me, so you'll excuse me. Shucks, it's just water. truly delighted to be here. I must restrain myself and not reminisce about the delightful associations I had with Dr. G.B. Williamson and the people who fathered this institution and the stories I could tell, interesting in several ways. And it is a great delight to be here and I thank Dr. Sanders for the invitation. Will you stand with me for the reading <coughs> of Holy Scripture from the Gospel according to John, chapter 7, verses 37, 38, and 39. On the last and great day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, and here I prefer the authorized and the RSV and so forth, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. You may be seated. As you well know, the Feast of Tabernacles was the most beloved, the favorite of the seven great feasts of the Jewish calendar year. It lasted for seven days. It came in the fall of the year. It was related to the harvest season. It was a time of great rejoicing and thanksgiving to God, not unlike our Thanksgiving season in America, but with much stronger spiritual and religious emphasis. And as I said, it lasted for seven days. And perhaps there was an eighth day added after the feast, but it lasted for seven days, and every day during the seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, a synonymous name, during those seven days, every day, a group of Jewish priests dressed in the colorful, elaborate garb of the priesthood of that day, about twelve priests in number, would march in stately file and procession from the temple down to the Pool of Siloam, bearing a huge golden ceremonial pitcher brought from the temple. They would go down to the Pool of Siloam. They would dip the pitcher into the pool and fill it to the brim and ascend back up the rocky footpath. And behind them came the procession of worshipers and the Jewish choir singing the words of Hebrew scripture and particularly singing with joy, we draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy, we draw water from the wells of salvation. In slow, moving, minor music, they moved back in procession toward the temple and took the pitcher and poured the water as a libation and offering to God over the great altar and praised God and rejoiced. And Verse 14 of chapter 7 tells us that Jesus arrived at the feast in the middle of the feast, the middle of the week, so we know that Jesus was present for at least three and perhaps four days of the Feast of Tabernacles. Just try to imagine Jesus incognito. I grew up in Cordova, Alabama, where nobody said incognito. And I have an inferiority complex, an obsessive compulsive need to say words like incognito. <laughs> but just think, Jesus, incognito, in the crowd, for at least three or four days, and watching this stately procession and ritual. And on the last day of the feast, they went through the procession and the ritual and brought it back to the temple and marched around the great brazen altar seven times, waving palm branches and willow branches and singing the Hallel, Psalms 113 through 118. And when the last ritual had been completed, when the last ceremony of the feast 
was ended, when the last anthem was hushed, in the immediate stillness and aftermath of that religious drama, with masterful timing, with masterful psychology, and who but our blessed Lord should be the greatest psychologist with masterful timing in the hush of that moment. The rich, resonant voice of the Son of God rings across the temple courtyard loudly, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost parts shall flow rivers of living water. Alexander McLaren, the great Scottish expositor, said, There is no more majestic utterance in all of human history than this statement of our Lord at the Feast of Tabernacles. And our own Nazarene scholar, H. Ray Dunning, says that this passage is the pivotal passage in all of John's gospel or in all of John's writings. And Dunning also says this dramatic statement, he said this statement of our Lord at the Feast of Tabernacles defines the perspective of the entire New Testament. If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I would have you note three things about this statement of the Lord at the Feast of Tabernacles. First, audacity. Audacity. You know what audacity means. It means bold, daring assertion. Audacity. Jesus lifts himself up virtually under the shadow of the temple. He consciously, deliberately, lifts himself up before the whole nation of Israel and says, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Do we even begin to grasp the magnitude, the sheer splendor, the magnificence of that statement of our Lord at the Feast of Tabernacles? You and I have a problem. You and I have a problem. And our problem is we're too familiar with the gospel. Our sheer familiarity with the gospel causes us many times to lose the sheer wonder and splendor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because most of us and probably all of us here this morning, have been brought up from infancy to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was God incarnate when we read that he make, made this daring, dramatic claim, you and I have a problem. We're not stunned by it. We're not staggered by it. We're not breathtaken by it. We're not thrilled out of ourselves by it. For we say, in effect, of course he made that claim. He was God incarnate. Why shouldn't he? He has a right to make that claim. And we miss the sheer wonder of it. Please 
try to put yourself in Jerusalem that day nearly 2,000 years ago when this man, Jesus of Nazareth, a preacher from Galilee, in that day, and I'm serious, he was the equivalent of a hillbilly. I used to be a hillbilly. I was born in the hills of North Alabama and grew up there. But now I've preached on five continents and in 44 states, and I'm no longer a hillbilly. I'm a mountain William. <laughs> I, I, Jesus was the equivalent of a hillbilly from out of Galilee. And if they knew anything at all about him, they knew him to be nothing more than, as we would say it in our jargon, a hillbilly preacher from the hills of Galilee. And here's this hillbilly preacher from the hills of Galilee standing virtually under the temple and saying with that vivid imagery, vivid imagery and metaphor, thirst, thirst, thirst. If any man thirst, meaning if anybody, if anybody, <laughs> if anybody is yearning, longing, crying out, seeking, wanting to know God, to know truth, to know reality, if anybody is thirsting for God, come to me. What a gospel. If it, if it ever hits us, if it ever hits us, we'll quit being about as excited as a bunch of ruptured ducks on the way to a WPA ditch digging contest. If it ever hits us, Jesus said, come to me, and what I'm about to say is familiar to you, but if he had not lived up to his claims, he would have long since been exposed as the most pathetic, egomaniacal lunatic the world has ever seen. If any man thirsts, anybody, anybody, let him come to me. Do we begin to grasp it? Jesus was consciously, deliberately lifting himself up before the whole nation of Israel, saying in clear effect, not in your temple, not in your sacrifices, not in your ceremonies, not in your ritualism, not in your legalism, not in your priesthood. I, am the fulfillment, I am the completion, I am the termination, I am the realization of everything you're seeking for. <laughs> and I'm here, and I'm it, and I'm all of it, and I'm the whole package. That's not a very dignified way to say it, but that's getting at it. And I'm the whole package, and I'm here, and I'm it. Bless my soul forever. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. That's enough to make a Presbyterian turn somersaults. <laughs> or an Episcopalian have glorified fit. Bless the Lord. But he's not only lifting himself up before the whole nation of Israel. He is lifting himself up before the whole human race, and he gets the sweep, the panorama, the background of all human history. He is lifting himself up and saying, 
I'm the fulfillment. I'm the realization. Against the background of every image and every idol and every altar and every superstition and every philosophy that ever was, against the background of it all, he's saying, I am the satisfaction of everything you're seeking for. Bless my soul. What a gospel. But not only audacity, simplicity. If any man thirst, let him come. If any man thirst, let him go on this pilgrimage or that pilgrimage. Go to this shrine or that shrine. Do this penance or that penance. Be sure he crosses these T's and dots his I's just like we do. Be sure he has all of our shibboleths and all of our jargon. Let him come. Don't miss it. It's my quick draw. You're going to expect more. It's going to go by you. If you don't start listening fast, I'll preach another hour. <laughs> if any man thirsts, let him come. Uncomplicated. Immeasurably simple. In our religion, we often have the danger of building up barriers between God and man that complicate and elaborate the whole situation. Even in our own circles, we have to be careful about that. I remember being brought up, I am a birthright Nazarene. When I was just two weeks old, I spoke with first words. How many did you have in Sunday school? And I realize looking back among some of the dear saints and godly people, wonderful people, they wanted people to quit cigarettes before they got saved. You know, I mean, they, we got the cart before the horse, and they, they wanted to just line up, and they wanted to know all the language of the old saints before they got up from the altar for the, when they were saved. And we, we, we make it difficult. If any man, th my old sanctified Methodist grandfather, lived with us in his old age. I sat with him on the porch swing in the summertime. And you never sat by Grandpa on the porch swing in the summertime in Alabama. You will never complete your education. He used to sit out there in the swing and he'd sing that great old hymn, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. I'm restraining myself the time factor here. Simplicity. Let him come. We really get lost in a lot of stuff. Let him come. Let him come! <laughs> but not only audacity and simplicity, capacity. 
If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. And drink. Somebody say amen. I'm not African-American and I'm not Pentecostal, but right now I wish I were preaching to about 500 African-American Pentecostals. <laughs> Let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being shall flow rivers, your pitiful little golden pitchers. Out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And John in verse 39 makes it conclusively clear that Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad. I grew up in the South where some people believe, we believe in the power in the blood and they believe in power in the tongue. I'm afraid we tend to neglect water baptism, but it's not regenerational water baptism. John made it clear in verse 39 that Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. And I need not tell this audience, this congregation, we do not believe in three gods. We believe in one God. We believe in the triune God. And the longer I live and think and preach, I'm about to actually rediscover Wesleyan theology, which should be Nazarene theology. We might get away from that sometime. We are Wesleyan, or at least we're supposed to be. <laughs> And, and the longer I live, the more I see the richness of Wesleyan theology. And the longer I live, the more I see the absolutely enrapturing riches of the doctrine of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. One God, not three. One God, blessed forever, world without end. Amen and amen. And when Jesus said, you can have rivers of water, living water, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And he was, say, was saying, you can have the Holy Spirit in your life, in your being, flowing into you, flowing from you, like a deep, turbid, surging, mighty, flooding, flowing river of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what he was saying. You can have God, the Holy Spirit. Jesus was saying, you can have God in you like a river. And here is the absolutely dazzling truth. Jesus was saying that he is the giver of God. <laughs> you can have God like that. He is the giver of God. I'm from the old school. I'm not going to let extremists rob me of our language. I believe in the baptism with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Say, oh me, amen or oh me. <laughs> oh, I'll come out of this by tonight. I'll be mean and dangerous tonight. <laughs> this is a puny thing. <clears throat> I was preaching a revival some years ago in First Church of the Nazarene in Pasadena, California. 
back when there was still hope for California. <laughs> guess, guess what I say about Colorado when I'm in California. <laughs> I'm crazy, but I'm not dumb. And it was, believe it or not, in, Cal in Pasadena First Church, it was a Sunday through Sunday revival. And the third service of that revival campaign, one of the most respected businessmen in the city of Pasadena, and one of the lay leaders of that great church, and a teacher of one of the larger adult classes in that church's Sunday school, stood up the third service and stunned the crowd by saying, I've been morally clean, I've been doctrinally sound in the teaching of my Sunday school class, but I must confess to God and to this church and to my Sunday school class, I have been operating without the Holy Ghost. I have been operating without the Holy Ghost. That triggered the greatest local church revival I've seen in my ministry in 45 consecutive years as a Nazarene evangelist. One man with humility and honesty said, I've been morally clean, doctrine is sound, but I've been operating without the Holy Ghost. I ask you, are we, are we, it's a question, are we operating without the Holy Ghost? Are you operating without the Holy Ghost? E. Stanley Jones, that great missionary statesman, the only man to ever decline the office of bishop in the Methodist Church. When he was, a, he wrote in his autobiography, a beautiful book, A Song of the Sense. In his autobiography, he tells how as a student at Asbury College, Wilmore, Kentucky, he received the assurance that he had been filled with the Spirit. Great experience. And in his dormitory that night, he was so elated, he was so rejoicing, he was praising God and getting quite loud and boisterous about it, and his dorm father decided he needed to calm him down and try to get him to go to sleep. So he hollered down the stairs to him and said, Stanley, Stanley, it's time to get some sleep. He giveth his beloved rest, the dorm father said. And E. Stanley Jones, the great missionary statesman, declined the office of bishop in the Church of the Nazarene. I mean, in the Methodist Church. It's never happened in the Church of Nazarene. <laughs> Scratch that. It's a wonderful time of life. I can't do a blessed thing to it. <laughs> Dorm father said, Stanley, let's get some sleep. He gave it his beloved rest. He Stanley Jones tells how he hollered up the stairs and said, How can I sleep when I've been baptized with the Holy Ghost? How can I sleep when I've been baptized with the Holy Ghost? Are we operating without the Holy Ghost? I was seated without any music, without any singing, and the experts all say, don't do it this way. And it's not physically convenient, 
But I don't want you to do anything unless God's in it and you mean business with the Lord. I don't want you. I'm not counting noses. If you want to come in a closing prayer together and pray to be filled with the Spirit, get up and come. Just get up and come. Deliberately, quietly, just get up and come. If you want to come and pray. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Let us praise the Lord. I'm going to ask Dr. Sanders to come and direct us and conclude the service.